One of my greatest values and priorities for holding both is to foster community. I offer multiple support and process groups that are held from the vantage point of an occupational therapist who specializes in mental health and women's health. I call these my support circles. In May, the complete circle begins. This group is tailored to those deciding to end their secondary infertility journey without a second child. This will be a safe space to hold gratitude for motherhood as it is, even though it looks different than one might have pictured initially. The topic of this podcast aligns with the theme of this group. If this is relatable to you and you would like more information, please email me at allie at holdingbothllc.com. That is A-L-L-I-E at holdingbothllc.com or follow the link in the show notes to learn more. Hi, my name is Allie. Welcome to the Secondary Infertility Podcast. I'm an occupational therapist with training in mental health, women's health, and health literacy. I experienced secondary infertility and loss myself, and I know that there is complexity in holding both the joys of motherhood and the pain and yearning that comes along with infertility at the same time. I want to be a conversation catalyst for this very important topic. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Today, I'm honored to be speaking with Kristen Hodgton, the co-founder and chief creative officer at Rescripted. She's a mom to five-year-old twins and recently published an article about her two-year secondary infertility journey trying to conceive her third child via IVF. Welcome, Kristen. I'm happy to have you on. Hi, Allie. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on. Can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, so I'm from New York, born and raised in Queens. Now I live on the South Shore of Long Island. I have five-year-old twins from IVF, like you said. I've been trying to conceive a third for like two and a half years, but on and off, because I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but it's very stressful going through IVF with when you already have kids. What else? I love to read. I'm a public writer. I... I have a dog named Nash. <laughs> I love it. And um, I'm the founder of and I'm the founder of Rescripted. Yes. So could you tell me a little bit more about Rescripted? I know that it has changed a little bit over the years in terms of what you offer. Um, but I'd love to hear about the background of Rescripted, how you got started and how it's changed over the years. Yeah. So I initially went through IVF to have my twins six years ago. So you know, back then, back then, it was like just not as many people were talking about fertility issues. And I felt like there was just a complete lack of content and community. And I was really searching for that connection and I didn't find it. I was also under 30. So none of my friends were having kids at that point, let alone trying to, you know, get pregnant with IUI or IVF. So just felt really alone. And so I started documenting my journey on Instagram and on a blog. It was then called the Fertility Tribe. And it kind of struck a nerve on Instagram. You know, people started following and sharing. And and then I got pregnant with my twins and kind of realized that, you know, mine is just one story to tell. So I started publishing all different kinds of personal stories, like across the spectrum. And it really became like the first ever digital publishing platform for non-traditional paths to parenthood. That's amazing. And then COVID happened. I, 
Thank you. Yeah, I couldn't have foreseen kind of the direction it went, but it was exciting. And it was sort of like just my passion project on the side. Um, I actually worked in book publishing for almost nine years. And then COVID happened and I had like 18-month-old twins and was doing my full-time job, my side hustle blog, plus, you know, didn't have any childcare. And I said, okay, something's got to give if I'm going to see if I can, you know, make this work full-time, I've got to take the leap. So I just happened to, at that point, meet my now co-founder, Abby, and she also has twins from IVF. And we just hit it off. And she had an app that helped women manage their IVF medications and like appointments and stuff like that. And she was looking to kind of market it to the infertility community. And I had this infertility community, but I didn't know how to, you know, keep it going like monetarily and you know, make it sustainable, a sustainable business. So we joined forces and we created what is now Rescripted. And now we're the leading global media platform for all women in their health from first period to last period. I love that. Uh, When did you change over from being fertility Rescripted to Rescripted? So from focusing less on just the infertility piece to and pregnancy loss piece to the full women's health picture? Yeah, so we initially when we became rescripted, our Instagram handle was fertility rescripted and we still focus heavily on fertility. And fertility is still a, like a major part of what we do, but we've realized in the process that so much of why women and couples are blindsided by infertility is because we aren't taught about our bodies and sex ed. Um, you know, we are taught pregnancy prevention instead of body literacy and fertility awareness. So, you know, we get married and go off the birth control pill and want to start a family. And it's like either those issues were masked for years through birth control or, you know, you have unexplained infertility or, you know, in your case, secondary infertility or whatever it is. And it's like so unexpected and it's actually extremely common and obviously that doesn't make it any less heartbreaking, but it is common and people should know that it exists and know how their bodies actually work. I mean, when I came off the pill, I didn't even know that I had to ovulate in order to get pregnant. I know. I I look back and I think of all these things that I... (laughs) That I didn't know. And I, one of my biggest passions is health literacy. And I consider myself to have good health literacy, but I felt like once I entered a fertility clinic that all that went out the door. I didn't know what to ask. I didn't know, you know, what, where to even begin. And so Rescripted has helped me a lot, especially during my secondary infertility journey, because it helped guide me in the way to look at articles that I knew were, were sound and I knew that would have good information and make me feel empowered. So thank you for what you do. I wanted to talk too about oh, Rescripted. You. Of course. Of course. Yeah, I I was so happy to stumble upon it and I'm not sure how I did find Fertility Rescripted mm-hmm. when it was Fertility Rescripted when I was going through IVF in 2020, 2021. But I'm I'm very glad I did. And I wanted to talk a bit about your Rescripted Voices and the Circle community that's yeah. recently started. Can you tell me a little bit? Yeah, so we so Rescripted Voices 
we decided to put together like a women's health creator network of trusted voices that we, you know, we love their content and we want to amplify their content and have them amplify amplify our content in exchange. So we have this amazing group of rescripted voices from, you know, registered dietitians and holistic health professionals to, you know, just infertility warriors hoping to help others on their on their journey. And they're very active in our circle community, which is community.rescripted.com and completely free to join. And you can, based on where you are in your journey or what your diagnosis is, so like PCOS, endometriosis, secondary infertility, even sexual health, menstrual health, and some of the other topics that we cover, you can kind of find other people who are going through similar things. You can find information, all of our articles, all of our podcasts, all of our all of our resources basically are populated in there too. So it's like a one-stop shop. Yeah, it's amazing. I have loved being a voice for Rescripted and I found really valuable information there. Something that comes to mind is Allie who shares about her arthritis journey. Um, that mm-hmm. her page is incredible to me. There's so many different voices that come at all different angles. Um, so I definitely think that anybody yeah. listening should go check it out. So tell me about yeah, your absolutely. secondary infertility journey. When did you decide that you wanted to try for a third? Um, and and how has that gone? Yeah. So how long do you have now? Because <laughs> <laughs> this, this is one of the things that I find to be important, too, is that Secondary infertility doesn't just mean trying for a second child. Secondary infertility means having a prior pregnancy and and delivery. And, you know, it could be multiple children. And if you're trying for a third, that's still secondary infertility. And I don't think that people really know that. And I'm on a mission to change that, too. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons of many that I'm so happy to have you on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love everything that you stand for at holding both. I I think that, well, so for I, I've always known I wanted three kids. My husband's from three, I'm from three. And then, you know, we kind of hit the IVF jackpot the first time around and got boy-girl twins, which was amazing. But I can't even explain, like, the minute they were born, I knew I wasn't done. Um, so... Like I always knew, and I had embryos remaining from IVF, so it was kind of a no-brainer to me that we would try again. But so then it was 2021. The twins were almost three, and we decided to go back, or they were two and a half, and we decided to go back to our fertility clinic to like start the testing process and the transfer process. And it turned out that our fertility clinic did not take our insurance anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they didn't take our insurance anymore. And we were like really frustrated, obviously, because we didn't have the money to pay out of pocket. And, but we were like, we, you know, obviously still went up a third. And so we moved, we ended up moving our embryos to a different fertility clinic that took our insurance. And I don't want to say it was like the biggest mistake we made, but I'm, we haven't had success since. And it's been 
two and a half years. So we moved them ourselves with like the nitrogen tank and all that stuff. And I don't think they got damaged along the way, but you never know. And then I had a transfer in August of 21 and I had a chemical pregnancy, which was my first like pregnancy loss. Like the first, and and it was so, I I mean, it was only a chemical pregnancy, but I was so convinced, you know, I was having another baby, even if it was just a few days. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, what are the odds? Like after the whole, after the long road that it took us to get the twins, like our first embryo transfer worked and I was so thrilled and I was like, okay, that was easy. And then my beta numbers never doubled and, and it was over kind of before it even began. So that was heartbreaking. And then I kind of took a step back and was like, I have not even three-year-old twins, like, <laughs> and there's a global pandemic. Like I, like life was stressful. Yeah. And I was like, if I'm going to, I was like, if I'm going to keep doing this, I kind of want to genetically test the remainder of my embryos because like I can't just keep having miscarriages or I can't keep like doing transfers and them not working. And so we made the decision to thaw the remainder of our embryos and biopsy them for PGTA testing. And six came back normal. So like I breathed a sigh of relief. I was yeah. like, okay, I have six, six normal embryos. I'm super glad I did it. Like I remember the phone call. I was just like, okay, my baby is in that batch. Then in January of 2022, started the process like with, you know, fresh energy and had failed transfer in January, failed transfer in February, did like a hysteroscopy, a bunch of testing, everything came back normal. Then did one, then did one more transfer in July, got pregnant, had like rising betas, everything, and it ended up being a blighted ovum. So I had oh no, gosh. I had the gestational sac, but there was no baby or heartbeat or anything like that. So that was a six and a half week miscarriage. And then, like, needed an emergency DNC, and it was a whole ordeal. So then after that, I took, like, six, at least six months off just to, like, not Recalibrate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was pretty traumatized. And those losses are both. I was both, pretty traumatized, honestly. Yeah, those losses are both, too. Like, you see people talk about chemical pregnancies, or you see people talk about blighted ov- ovums. And everybody processes them in such different ways, but it's just like a loss is a loss is a yeah. loss. And it's just, yeah, I can see why you would need six months to just. Yeah, totally. Yeah. When you get that positive pregnancy test, you're excited, you know? So, mm-hmm. and then you're, I feel like time stands still during IVF because you're so concerned about like rising betas and early ultrasounds that you're like even more anxious because and like like time just goes even slower mm-hmm. so you're, you're so really aware like, you're so hyper aware that you're yeah. so aware yeah exactly 
And so, yeah, both times it was it was really devastating, but especially the six and a half week one because my betas just kept doubling perfectly. Although like my first beta was kind of on the low side, but like they just kept doubling perfectly. And then I went in for the five week ultrasound, which my clinic does not not all clinics do. So we saw a sack, and then the next week, like there was nothing in it still. So, so yeah. So we then needed an emergency DNC, and so took like a hormone holiday. My OBGYN called it like no no fertility drugs, like no treatment, nothing, and until about February of twenty twenty three and then kind of reevaluated did one more transfer and like completely changed it up and did like a modified natural protocol just to like as a hail mary and it didn't implant so to date there we've done five transfers and none of them have worked four of them were genetically normal four of them were genetically normal embryos so that was almost a year ago. Yeah, I, I remember can't you sharing. How much time has passed. And I remember you also sharing a post. I believe it was this summer, this past summer, about being done with IVF or being done with IVF for now, or just like taking that off the plate. How did it feel to share that, and what motivated you to share that? So I found that it was like really hanging over my head, like will we or won't we like i'm like the desire to have a third baby has didn't go away unfortunately (laughs) like i kept like hoping that it would just go away and i mean i mean i think like for everyone listening who's going through secondary infertility i mean like the stakes are just i don't want to say the stakes are higher but like the emotional stakes feel higher when you have kids at home so like you like Every appointment, appointment that yeah, every appointment that I went to was taking in my mind was taking away from my kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which isn't true, but like that's how it feels in the moment. I'm like, I spent so much time trying to have these beautiful babies that I have. And instead of living in the moment, I'm like trying to have another baby. And it felt like it just didn't feel like good to me, but I didn't know how to like lose the desire for another yeah. baby. Um, it's that push pull that you so, just can't, you know, that push pull exactly. for me. Like I striking sh- that balance. Yeah. It's like I should be grateful, which I am grateful, but I'm also, but that doesn't mean that I don't want what I want. And like, it's very complex when you, you picture your family a certain way and you, can't make that happen like i think some people take that for granted Mm -hmm. Uh, but anyway so the desire didn't go away but i knew that i couldn't put my body and mind through ivf again at that moment so and i just felt like it was all weighing on me so i ended up packing up all my ivf needles and because i had been keeping them for what like a pregnancy announcement and but at that moment i was like i can't keep looking at them like in my closet and I can't keep like wondering will we or won't we Mm -hmm. and so I took them all to I don't know how every seat's different but in New York you can drop your sharps at like a nursing home and so I did that and I can't even tell you like the weight that that just fell off my shoulders so that was you know a relief 
And at that point, I was like totally done with IVF. I I was like, I won't go through that again. My kids, being present for my kids is too important. Being, you know, like I want to get to the bottom. I also wanted to get to the bottom of like why my body wasn't accepting embryos. Like I had kind of gotten to the point where I was like, well, it might be the embryos because we moved them and then thawed them and tested them, but it also might be my body. So like, I can't move forward with my last two embryos unless like I sort of get to the bottom of like, why, you know? Yeah. Which we may never know. Like We we may never know like totally why, but I needed to make sure that I got my health in the best possible place because if we ever did try again, like I would want to know that I at least checked all those boxes. So I started working with a registered dietitian and like tried to normalize my cycle. I have PCOS and Hashimoto, so I have very irregular cycles, like pretty much don't ovulate on my own ever. So started going to registered dietitian and just working on my health and went to acupuncture weekly and all the above, like really just doing everything in my power. And I ended up ovulating on my own like three times, which was great, but like still wasn't getting pregnant. And honestly, it felt like I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to be like the picture of health. It felt like like a different kind of pressure than IVFs. And honestly, I hit a point like around the holidays where I was like, this is almost just as stressful as IVF. Yeah, I mean, the pressure on, and especially you're the face of this uh, organization that is so, so powerful and promotes health. And I could imagine there was an extra pressure there being, uh, having all this health information at your fingertips and working with everyone you work with. Exactly, yeah, it can it can get compl- complicated. So I just hit a point where I was like, I'm stressing myself out trying to do all of these things that to make my body do something that it won't do. And, you know, we see all the time, like, you can cure your PCOS and you can put your Hashimoto's into remission. And, like, for those people, like, maybe that happened for them. But... I'm here to say that if it doesn't happen for you, like you can't blame yourself. Like you're, I mean, I have two chronic illnesses. I can't like magically flip a switch and get my body to do what it is supposed to do. If it, if I could, like I wouldn't have infertility. (laughs) Absolutely. No, I think that's a very important, very important message for people to hear because, like you said, you see that. Yeah, I think there's so much pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much pressure on all of us as women. And I just hit a point where I was like, I'm stressing myself out more trying like to not eat gluten or because of inflammation. I'm like, what even is inflammation? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, like I don't have celiac. Why am I like abstaining from bread? I'm Italian. Uh, so I so this was around like late November, early December of twenty-three. And I said and I was I said to my husband, I'm like, I cannot have this hang over my head anymore. I was like yeah. between having our two embryos in storage and 
paying that bill every other, every quarter or whatever it is. And then on the other side of the coin, like stressing myself out to no avail about like trying to do everything in my power to ovulate and getting disappointed when I'm not pregnant. I mean, while I have PCOS, Hashimoto's and infertility. Yeah. I, I was like, I, I was like, I think we need to, and it was actually my husband's suggestion. He goes, I think we should go back to our original doctor. Oh, where wow. We had the twins. So we went back to our original doctor where we had the twins. They happened to take our insurance again, magically. That's amazing. Like all of that, like all of that ra- roundabout two and a half year way of yeah. somehow end- ending up back there. And like the minute I spoke to the doctor, I was like, I have to move forward with her. Like I have to do start from scratch. And I, I always said I would never do another egg retrieval. But at this point, I feel like such bad juju from that batch of embryos. Like I've had such bad luck with them that I'm like, I want to start from scratch. I want to be under your care. I want to do another egg retrieval. And and like basically our plan is if if we get pregnant from this batch of eggs, like we will be thrilled. And if we don't, we will be done. You'll be more um, at peace. And it's a tough pill to swallow, but I will be more at peace. I I basically realize that I can't have it hanging over my head. Will we or won't we? I need to either get pregnant and move on or be or try again and be and it not work and move on like i can't a year from now i can't be like will we do ivf again you know it's like i I just can't so i start my medication next week for my egg retrieval cycle and i'm like just so at peace like i feel I don't know. Sometimes I I felt on this journey, like people are like, oh my God, you've been trying for a third for two and a half years. But really, I mean, only like we've only done five cycles of transfers because every time I felt in my heart that I needed a break to focus on the kids or, you know, just not try, I did. So, I mean, it's literally been almost a full year since we've done anything. And I think that's okay. Like, it didn't feel right for me at that moment to move forward. And I just think infertility is so different when you have kids. Like if yeah. I didn't have kids, like I would push through like without stopping. But you have to stick with secondary infertility. You sometimes have to take a step back and be like, okay, what's best for my family right now? Like, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, after a year and giving up my IVF needles and, thinking like I'm done with IVF forever. We're about to embark on another cycle and fingers crossed and see if it works. But I'm very much at peace that if it doesn't, we're done. And at least we can close the chapter knowing we tried with new eggs and new embryos and can like just and the and the good part too is like I've done a lot of healing work and therapy and like I feel like I will be okay either way. Like there was a point maybe after that miscarriage that I was like just so devastated and I was like like how will I how can I not you know achieve my dream of having three kids like that like the thought of it was just so devastating and it still is heartbreaking to me but like 
I've done enough like healing work and just being present with the beautiful kids that do have that I feel like we're going to be okay either way. And there's a lot we can do like as a family, if we don't have another baby, you know, like there's, there's silver linings and whether it's traveling more or this and that. So it's like either way we'll make it through, but I need to see this through first. Thank you so much for sharing that. I feel like you are truly in this way, truly embodying, holding both um, the joys of motherhood and the pain and yearning that comes along with infertility at the same time. And I think it's so valuable that you model listening to yourself and knowing when to take a break and then having a plan. And even if it's a moving target, um, having a plan on what you want to do next or when you want to end. Because I think that that's something that people struggle with so deeply. A lot of the women that I speak with will say, you know, I'm I'm wanting to go back to back to back with all this and just go hard. And there comes a point where taking a break is one of the best things that you can do. And I know I've talked with many women about that before. So it's really powerful to hear you and just being one of the faces of Rescripted leading by such a good example, but also being open to sharing your story is so valuable. And I want to thank you so much for being on today. Something I've come to realize over the course of the past like year and a half since my miscarriage is that I know like when you have secondary infertility, like the focus can be on the age gap and how, you know, like the age gap just keeps growing. Mm -hmm. But I had my 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 brother's wife had a baby in November and seeing my 5-year-olds with that baby like completely threw all of that out the window. That's incredible. And and I and I'm actually like it's so, so at peace with like maybe this is how it was supposed to be, you know? Like they needed to get a little older and I mean, twins are hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've heard. Uh, and, I can only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm just like, I'm like, if you're worried about the age gap, not to say don't be because it's way easier said than done, but like they are so helpful with my nephew and I'm just like so, and I think that's part of why I feel ready to do IVF again is because I actually tell them I'm like, mommy's going to the doctor to try to have a baby. And then they think like, I'm just going to go to the doctor and get a baby. And then I'm like, no, like we might have a baby. Like we don't know if it's going to work yet. And so then they like their wheels are turning and they're trying to understand and they do understand. And like, I feel like they're at the age where I I feel so much more confident going into IVF knowing that like they'll also be okay if it doesn't work. And like, cause I've told them that there's a chance that it might not work. And that when I, but now when I go to doctor's appointments, they know why I'm going to doctor's appointments. Whereas when they were three, like it was just mommy's leaving, you know, <clears throat> you know? Mm-hmm. So I think there's like, it definitely feels like, a silver lining of them being a little older that I feel more just at peace with going through the process again, because it's like, they're aware that it is a process. Yeah. Well, that's incredible. And I feel like there's also just more of a movement and awareness of people educating their kids. I had seen the the book that the work of art 
that Ali Prado, that oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, released and talking about you know educating kids on infertility and assistive reproductive technology. And I think it's so powerful mm-hmm. to be raising a generation of kids who are going to understand what this is in a way that they can. Yeah. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And can you tell people where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So on Instagram, TikTok, all social media, we are at Hello Rescripted. And then our website is rescripted.com. And our community is community.rescripted.com. So yeah, follow us and join our community. It's completely free and lots of you'll find lots of support there from Allie too <laughs> in the secondary infertility group. Yes. Thank you so much, Kristen. Of course. This was fun. I hope you found this episode of the Secondary Infertility Podcast to be meaningful. One of the best ways to support me and my show is to rate and leave a review. For more secondary infertility content, please come find me at Holding Both on Instagram. That's H-O-L-D-I-N-G-B-O-T-H on Instagram. Thank you.